and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And as always, my co-host, Derek Cohen. He is the Vice President of Policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. How are we doing this week, Derek? We are doing just fine. Excellent. Well, uh, the big question, before we get into it, before we get to the show, the big question of the week is... You saw the USA News rankings come out. Austin is no longer in the top 10 of the greatest cities in America. Mm-hmm. Um, was that expected? Are you shocked by that? Uh, I don't think I'm so much shocked by the fall in the ranking so much as to now who it's behind. I think that was uh, interesting. Who, number, uh, who number else 40. was on that list? Um, lots of places I have not been. <laughs> so I think number one was like Madison, Wisconsin or something. And so I know that you being from Ohio probably have some opinions about Wisconsin. Uh, actually, no. Wisconsin's actually really nice. I, I, I know this is high heresy. I commonly uh, mix it up with uh, Minnesota, which I know is basically like <laughs> mixing up Ohio with Michigan. But, you know, it's one of those things where I think, um, you know, when in terms of these rankings, I think another funny thing is, I, you know, you observed, I believe, when we were talking earlier that uh, Colleen and uh, Beaumont had all ranked higher than Austin. And then I, Houston. No, Houston. Austin's still ranked number one. Ah. But but Houston was number 10 out of out of 10 cities in, in Texas with oh, Colleen right. and Beaumont, of all places. Uh, no no offense to our friends in Beaumont and Colleen, but, you know, better than Houston? I don't know if that's if that's right. Well, Houston, but the, again, Houston's so big and so sprawling, it really doesn't have, like, a central character. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's the fact that it has two downtowns is enough to uh you know, enough to confuse most. Well, anyway, Austin's out of the top ten. It's number forty, and so I don't know. But most of this has to do with like the cost of living. Um, it hasn't doesn't have to do with you know a lot of we're things. Not that we would think of. We're yeah, not doing not great. We're not doing great. All right, well, moving on. <laughs> get into more serious issues. Um, of course, I always like to do a little shameless plug for our newsletter, our weekly newsletter. It's at texaspolicy.com/slash/the-post. It's the newsletter that talks about all things Texas and all things that TPPF is doing. Um, there's some exclusive content in there. Getting a lot of positive feedback. And if you're not on the list already, you can go to texaspolicy.com slash the post and sign up for that as well. All right. So top topics uh, for this week. We're going to talk a little bit about the apparent empowerment pause uh, that's going on right now at the, te- at the Texas legislature. Uh, illegal immigrants are going to get a Rocky Mountain high, uh, according to, uh, to, to, to Greg Abbott, uh, our, our governor. Um, gender mod heads to the courts, which is kind of the playbook for the left. And so we'll chat about why that is. And the Texas House says, por que nos dos on, <laughs> on uh, property tax. And so there's some developments there. But I know there's a, p- a big issue breaking issue we're recording this later in the week than we normally do and so we are uh we just had some breaking news over the last couple of hours uh on sb12 sb12 is the um uh is the bill that would block minors from attending sexually explicit performances uh some breaking news on that and its passage and all that so let's let's jump into your Ledgeland update with that with that update well i think just broadly speaking and we'll start you know start at thirty thousand foot and zoom in is that this is the week where, you know, we're really seeing what is truly going to progress. You know, we've had that big deadline of House bills getting kicked that need to get kicked out of the uh, or at least uh, voted on second reading uh, before getting sent over to the Senate. Now, whether they get referred or not over, there's a different question. But that was last, you know, that was not last week, but the week prior. Mm. And so we're coming up on these other deadlines where now Senate bills are now having to get um, meet certain thresholds or they're the ones that are. Um, Going to be yeah, it's getting in real in the Senate. You know, even their ability to suspend the rules is now there's still yeah. getting still getting to be crunched up. Well, especially when it comes to issues like uh, t- you know adopting conference reports or taking concurrence votes, they can only move 
as fast as the House rules allow them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if they're waiting for uh, conferees to be reported, all those things that they have a process to do, you know, things could die in that particular process, too. But you were asked about uh, about SB 12, the the drag bill, and it had been it had been watered down a little bit, mostly due to, I think, really the the author's intent and really walking the fine line of some of the ambiguity there you know obviously there's a whole bunch of bad faith argumentation that oh this would stop the uh people from seeing the dallas county or i'm sorry dallas cowboy cheerleaders and of course i was like no the dallas cowboys are stopping people i don't know what the dallas county cheerleaders would look like but probably not like the (laughs) dallas cowboy cheerleaders uh hopefully they'd at least have a better record um but that being (laughs) said uh one of the things that um we saw in that realm Again, was this whole like you know? Well, what would this ban Shakespeare? Would this ban? Mm-hmm. And of course, that's super. You know, we had this discussion in the Senate. Completely superficial misreading. Um, but what we saw, though, interestingly, is when they went to a vote, and I, I number escapes me. I think it's forty-two. Mm-hmm. Had forty-two white lights on that particular vote after supposedly the, uh, you know, following the the rumor mill on Twitter, whatever that might be, that there was a a message from the LGBTQ caucus saying vote your district. Mm. Well, interesting when a lot of people voted their district that they white lighted that, saying that you know maybe this type of performance is not appropriate. Appropriate mm-hmm. for children and so you know what started last week when we started seeing the i would say the levy start to break on you know democrats voting lockstep on some of these more social or cultural bills is now we are basically you know in the deluge mm-hmm. that they're having to actually stand up and vote and then right. be on record as for this and this is what i think is really interesting about this time of of the session is that you know the, it's it's not you know it's no longer messaging we're not you know jumping in front of the cameras or writing op-eds or any of that you have to get down to what is this bill about and of course this bill the bill sb12 and a lot of other bills are about protecting children. I mean, specifically, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think for a lot of us, I mean, you know, we saw the videos last year of the the drag shows, the sexually explicit drag shows, and you see the kids sitting in the front row and dancing around and handing dollar bills like they're at a strip show. I mean, I think number one, most Texans were horrified that 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 um, the performers will be doing that in front of kids, but also horrified that parents will be taking their kids yeah. to this kind of show. And I think a lot of us were even shocked that this would be legal, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that they limit. Uh, minors go to you can't go to an R-rated movie you can't go to a, a strip club and all of that I guess if you call it brunch mm-hmm. uh, suddenly now you can do whatever you want uh, at it and, and the kids go so that's where well, that rule applies this... to day drinking does it not <laughs> it must it absolutely <laughs> must so, so you know I think a, I think a lot of folks were, were shocked that it wasn't you know that this was allowed in the first place and so when you know when you have a common sense rule that says hey this isn't appropriate for kids th- the reality is is that the left turned this into you know this was part of the anti-gay agenda this was about discrimination you know, and when we, when we pushed back and said, look, you said, you know, why, why would kids need to go to something like this in the first place? They said, oh, it was art. You know, it was inclusion. This was about they wanted kids to be there. And now, of course, here we are on the vote and, and you have to have a recorded vote. Now, all of a sudden, the arguments are changing. You know, oh, this is about overreach. You know, this this bill would would make it illegal for kids to watch, you know, some movies from the 1960s or something. It's just completely bad faith arguments on their part now that they know that the bill is not in fact about protecting kids and the, and the rubber meets the road the re- the record is clear you have 42 Democrats now not wanting to be on the record opposing a bill that uh, that protects kids I think it's pretty clear that their arguments were always disingenuous well even if you go with the you know the the partisan strength of a particular district ones that are overwhelmingly as a Democrat in this case 
aren't monolithic. Yes, they might be monolithic in how they view uh, certain issues, broadly speaking, and definitely in their preference of candidate. But that doesn't necessarily mean that this is an issue that they're willing to go to bat for. Mm -hmm. You know, again, we started seeing this particular levy break, you know, back last week. And now I think people are really starting to say, look, I'm getting a lot of heat from my district and not just heat from the activist class from you know, Texans for drag brunch performances and, and stuff like this and all these AstroTurf groups, but you're actually seeing real constituents like, I walked blocks for you. Why are you trying to expose my kids to this? Mm -hmm. And that is a very, very tough question to answer to a constituent. Or how can you be on the wrong side of protecting kids from, you know, from chemical castration or from these, you know, hormones and puberty blockers that studies are showing or having, you know, lifelong effects uh, in them or, or, you know, having the inappropriate materials and pornography in, in school libraries. I mean, you know, constituents are, 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 you know, trying to wrap their heads around. I mean, they're, they're, they might be Democrats. They might be liberals for all, you know, for health care, for education funding or for all these other reasons. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, wait a minute. I don't I don't think that's what the Democrat Party should be about or that's certainly not anything that I uh, would uh, would uh, would you know, believe in as well which is why now all of a sudden you have folks who have been making these arguments trying to yeah. spin it back and make new arguments and then at the end of the day uh, end up voting you know not voting or present not voting yeah and I think that well it's gonna be tough for the uh, the self-appointed uh, ideological enforcement police on the uh, internet to have to track down all these uh, vote uh, you know malfunctioning voting machines. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, you know, that's probably the, the biggest issue of the day, but there's a lot that went on this week. Anything else before we jump into uh, some of our top topics, anything else going on, on the floor that's kind of under the radar or anything else that you, that you wanted to highlight about this week? Well, I definitely think a lighter item could be the calls for uh, concurrence votes or non-concurrence votes, I should say. So you have an item eligible up. In other words, House kicked something over the Senate. Senate took a look at it, go, you know, changes something here, changes something there, sends it back to the House, and the House can go, eh, well, you know, we'll, we'll accept these amendments, or they can say, no, we're not going to do that. It just, I just like the, uh, the, the, the pomp and circumstance that when they decide to, you know, appoint conferees and not accept the uh, uh, amendments, it's usually along the lines of, we're going to go tell the Senate what's for, and I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're just going back to conference because they had a misspelling in the, you know, in, in the actual <laughs> amendment, but otherwise, but it, it's, it's fun so to watch. a lot of gamesmanship yeah. going on back and forth. I would say and lightheartedness. Uh, no more <laughs> than, than property tax, which we'll get to um, sort of at the end, oh, yes. uh, but I wanted to jump, um, you know, pa parent empowerment, school choice, obviously that was a big, uh, still is the number one issue in the Texas legislature. Um, there were some, you know, some pretty big events. There was a, expected to be a big House committee uh, discussion and debate around um, SB8 and the new versions of it uh, that had come out over on the House. Uh, but something happened on Sunday that threw kind of a wrench in all of this mm. is that the newest version uh, of SBA, the school choice bill, was unacceptable, uh, almost insulting, frankly, um, uh, to the governor. Um, and he did something that, that he doesn't do a lot, which is which is a, a veto threat of that bill. How did that, um, you know, how did that, you know, what was the reaction mm -hmm. at the Capitol and kind of where do we stand right now with parent empowerment bill? Well, generally, I think the reaction to the committee, you know, the actual sub that the governor found so uh, unpleasant, which I, I <laughs> echo those, uh, I echo that sentiment. He basically said this, you know, this is unacceptable. It carves out too many kids. It fails to provide this meaningful avenue for so many children, kids who need it the most within the whole system. And he said, look, if this is what if this is what you're this is what you're moving and this is what you're going to offer me if this hits my desk this particular vehicle right here it's absolutely in the trash mm -hmm. and that's 
something that we've come to see on on this issue is Governor Abbott has basically put a stake down at every turn in the road and says, this is the standard. This is the standard. This is Mm -hmm. the standard. He's not going to just say, "Okay, well, since I promised school choice, we're just going to do something. You know, I I've not seen him take this this level of leadership on anything uh, prior to. Mm -hmm. And that's not an indictment of him. This is how much he is committed to this. And to be honest with you, if you're that bought into a particular policy reform or particular agenda item, then, yeah, it needs to be up to snuff or what you would consider up to snuff. Well, that was going to be my next question is, do you think this surprised uh, you know, Republicans in the House that he would issue a veto threat? But maybe they shouldn't have been surprised because he has invested so much in this issue. Well, I don't think it's surprised because for that very reason, he has not played this card close to the vest at all. Mm-hmm. He said we are going to have the most meaningful school choice program. He's, he's sometimes have said most meaningful in the nation, which, of course, you know, Texas alone, if we do anything, it's always the most meaningful, just about how many kids we have in the state. Mm. But that being said is he promised a meaningful school choice reform, and I think that this is all uh, part of delivering that. Now, I will say, I will say, I, I, I hope he's paying attention to some of the uh, way some of these votes in the different chambers are going, because there's some folks who I know politically owe a lot of their good fortune to the governor and those folks seem to be taking some questionable votes and obviously i think you know anyone with a cursory knowledge of this space knows exactly what we're talking about uh and then in terms of uh, procedure wise um i mean and i'm definitely not the person you want to ask about that (laughs) so that's why you're here um but but my understanding is basically they have 24 hours to do anything to get something out of of an education committee so that it can even have the um, ability uh to be voted on in the house but there's just nothing going on right oh i i think and again this is speculation on my part even though i know folks who are you know more deep in the process. I think they're so far apart on the consensus, on the mechanics. I think that that's a good read and uh, it's probably functionally dead for, well, for the regular session. But that doesn't mean, I mean, you know, the the opponents of school choice should not rejoice and start popping uh, champagne, of course, because there's always the special session, which which I think everybody would agree uh, is something that is in the cards for the governor uh, should should parent empowerment not get passed in the next, you know, week or so. Yeah, and and like I said, I think that the impulse, especially for folks who are kind of, you know, more lukewarm on the issue, but not, you know, maybe school choice curious, but not hard charging, <laughs> they'll probably be like, you know, just give us give us something, you know, for uh, students with disabilities or low income, you know, give them a couple bucks, and then you know this whole thing will go away. And the truth be told, I don't think that would satisfy the governor, nor should it. All right. I'm just glad you didn't go school choice questioning or plus or well, we need curious to, is fine. But that's SB8 was, you know, while SB8 still had its, you know, still had its flaws, it was definitely parental empowerment affirming legislation. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it's not dead. Uh, we'll probably just end up in a special, which I think, you know, I mean, we've we've uh, we've we said don't put that out there. But I think it's pretty obvious that um, that that's where we're headed. We did three of them last time. Yeah. And when and when that happens is anybody's guess. Um, and, the you know, the whole politics around that is also very interesting. So jump really quickly to a story that just came out as well involving the governor uh, is now the governor, of course, has been has been sending these busloads of migrants. You know, we've had Title 42 expire last week and we had almost 10,000 a day in the lead up. Uh, 
to Title 42 coming across the border. And so he's been sending busloads of illegal immigrants uh, to these liberal cities, these sanctuary cities like New York and Chicago uh, and um, uh, New York, Chicago. I can't remember the, the other the, the last one, uh, but he's added one to the list. Mm. Now, Denver, Denver mm. is going to get a busload of migrants. So um, my question is, or I'm curious, is where next? Where next should the should the governor send, uh, you know, if he wants to spread the pain to these liberal cities that support sanctuary city policies that are making it, you know, that are, that are make, uh, creating um, a magnet uh, for illegal immigration, uh, where on the list would you send uh, the next busload? Mountain View. Now, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it is intriguing that yeah. he hasn't been sending them uh, uh, to California, right? Like there hasn't been any, I don't think that there's been any uh, that have gone to California, which is where you would think that he would be sending them. Well, maybe they've uh, heard of their crime and environmental issues and they don't want to go there as well. Because keep by this, this is a voluntary program. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a bus that goes to San Francisco. Just no one's on it. They're yeah. all going to New York and Chicago. and They're like, San Francisco, are you kidding, are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> but, is uh, Denver you, bus full? <laughs> what about Portland? Yeah. You know, Portland's another one of those cities. Uh, yeah, it, it, and, and it's funny. So uh, the 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 one concern I have about about Denver specifically is, is obviously that's going to be a very weather dependent one. It gets re- it gets really cold in the winter. So this is you know at the at the outset of summer, you know there's a viable strategy. But again, we shouldn't be having to make these considerations, mm. right? The big problem here, the big problem here is that we have individuals that are coming across the border illegally, and then we, because of either controlling law, you know, we all like to blame the Flores decision, but the Flores decision still gives a lot of flexibility that we're not even operating within. We basically have created this situation, and I say we, the United States, has created this situation for ourselves wherein we really have no answer to this problem, mm-hmm. and we have no absolutely no leadership uh, able to that. Now, there's certain things that we can do around the edges here in the state. You know, we've talked about... You know, some attacking the uh, cartels uh, involvement here, some of the elites that are facilitating it, you know, the various things around that. But even that does not get at the problem that we have these, you know, lies that are trickling down to all these other countries that basically look, you know, United States, you can just basically walk across the border uh, and get in there, and then they'll, you know, maybe sometimes slap an ankle tag on you, and then, you know, you come back three years later. If you come back. That is such an untenable solution and making a phone app for, you know, pre-check-in like you would do if you were, uh, you know, picking up Buffalo Wild Wings or something. And uh, (laughs) so you can get that cleared before you get there. All that stuff is just absolutely putting, I wouldn't even say it's not even putting wallpaper over the issue because it's not even, even purportedly fixing the issue itself. And I mean, with their um, experience with Obamacare, we know how good the federal government is at creating websites and apps. So oh, I yeah. can only imagine how well that works. Uh, my vote would be Madison, Wisconsin, by the way. Speaking of Wisconsin, I yeah, just, you know, that's say summers are cold in Madison, Wisconsin, man. <laughs> um, no, but you bring it back to the policy, which is, of course, what we want to talk about. And, and in the legislature right now, they're still wrangling and, and debating over HB7 and HB20. HB7 uh, is the one that creates new legal authorities, um, creates uh, a, a felony for for um, for illegally coming across the border, mm-hmm. um, so it's creating new new uh, authorities uh, for the for the state to assert its right to police its um, police its borders and protect its communities. And then of course you have HB twenty. And I'm not you know we we talked a little bit how all that's kind of wrapped together mm-hmm. um, and creating this new uh, border. Now it's, it's no longer a border protection unit; it's now a border protection force, and it will be under the Texas Rangers, mm-hmm. um, creating um, you know new entities that will be able to uh, police the border. 
order and be able to which of course uh, the, the, the rejoinder to that was oh you're growing government you're growing government I love I the selective libertarianism is just <laughs> fantastic or I just think it's the you know we, we we didn't want a border protection unit so now we have a border protection force and I know there's a little differences between uh, that and the other one I mean the, the one that always got me was the the claim that it was a vigilante force when they were literally uh, debating the legal authority for the border force to exist um, so there's that that's still up in the air um, in terms of what they're going to do there. That's not something I don't think that anyone's talked about, um, you know, going to a special. So that's something that, that does have a, uh, a clock ticking on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that needs to Seems get to be done moving well, though. Seems to be moving well, but definitely, you know, we're getting down to we're getting down to the last minute here uh, to work on that. Okay. Um, all right. A couple other issues wanted to hit um, uh, for today, for this week. Um, you know, we, we sort of celebrated last week. SB 14 was the bill that protected kids from uh, gender modification, or at least it banned the doctors from uh, performing those treatments and those uh, surgeries and those kinds of things. But it turns out that 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 doesn't necessarily mean that the issue is over. That, in fact, for the left, really it's just beginning, because this is all part of the playbook for them, Mm -hmm. is that once these laws are put into place, then the lawyers come out. And almost immediately after the bill was signed and was on its way to the governor, uh, ACLU of Texas announced that it was going to sue the state of Texas uh, for discrimination, for for discriminating against transgender youths, I guess, um, uh, and, and not allowing these procedures. Uh, using the courts uh, to pass policy. This is a pretty pretty much a playbook, textbook uh, play by the by the left. No. Yeah, usually and it usually works in liberal jurisdictions. So I have no idea how the, the, what the plan of attack is here. Now, if you look at what SB uh, 14 does and how it was laid out and defended by Dr. Oliverson, you could see them trying to sow the seeds of this, saying, mm-hmm. well, if we're provi- providing this particular care for, you know, so let's say with the, the puberty blockers, we're trying to provide this particular care for precocious puberty. Why does a kid's post-Bostock-oriented sexual orientation or, or gender identity, why can that be the basis for discriminating against uh, the application of this. And of course, you know, Dr. Oliverson rightly observed that, yet yeah, that is, you're using these particular, these particular medicines for purposes not for which they're designed for this faddish treatment. And not approved. Yeah, for, yeah. not for the design or approved for this faddish treatment of, you know, reassigning gender, how, however you define right. that. And, you and know, you're not that, doing anything like that when you're treating yeah. precocious puberty. And that's so they're trying to they're basically trying to stir up a, you know, like an equal protection argument. But like that is such a a poor, I would say, approach to, to doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. When you when you're sitting on as much. Uh, uh, how do I want to put this uh, money that they can get in small donations uh, from folks by uh, saying that Trump's putting kids in cages as the ACLU does, mm-hmm. then obviously they're, you know, they, they need to burn it on something. And now that they're, you know, no longer concerned with civil liberties and just part of the, you know, the, the, the left wing morass, that is essentially what we're going to see. The thing is, I mean, from an illegal analysis, it has no legs to stand on. 
and I would be very surprised if it even makes it to a, a higher level uh, within the federal, or I'm sorry, within the the state courts. And mm-hmm. if they try the federal court in the, you know, because this is wholly within the Fifth Circuit, that seems like it would fare even more poorly. Uh, because the Fifth Circuit's much more conservative than, say, the Ninth or some other yeah. some other circuit. And what they're and, and it probably will go uh, the federal route because a lot of because the places the few places where uh, the left has been successful in the courts and, and again in a very limited context they've been using Obama era rules and regulations. Of course, these are not laws that are passed by Congress. Uh, these are these are rules and regulations that were um, they're essentially written and written out and, and added to the code uh, through the through HHS. Uh, they're, so they're using Obama-era regulations. Some of those were cleaned out and, and reversed by the Trump administration, which were then put back into place. Uh, so you have this kind of you know seesawing and and going back and forth of what the law says and what it doesn't, which is a whole nother issue with the deep state. And of course, Congress could actually just do its job, and we wouldn't be in this place. But far be it from me to upset uh, you know a century of administrative law. And, and to their credit, there it is a national issue. I mean, again, there's not a whole lot that can get done in Congress uh, at any point. You know, whether no matter who has the majorities, mm. um, but the, but there has been some discussion. They've seen in the states where this issue um, has um, you know has a lot of support, frankly, bipartisan support. I mean, our own polling here in Texas shows uh, you know upwards of sixty percent of of people uh, support the ban for for minors. You've got thirty four percent, thirty five percent of Democrats who support the ban, and I've seen internal polling from some of our pollsters that nationally the the ban on allowing kids to do this is upwards of seventy percent nationally. Nationally, nationally, and, that, and that's and that's a little bit different. It's not apples to apples with our polling because that's adults versus likely voters. Mm-hmm. But still, you're talking about you know the the vast majority of the country does not think that this is something that we, that we should be allowing kids to do, especially when you compare it to other things like tattoos and smoking and other you know these other things that are um, you know that we don't allow kids to do. We don't allow them to make these kinds of decisions that have long term uh, health effects uh, in those contexts. But suddenly we're going to let them do something like this. And so I think that you know as the more it seems like that that the left pushes on this issue the more people learn about it the more horrified that they are and now you're upwards of you know 70 75 percent of americans are are on the right side that, that doesn't surprise me in the least, just given some of the, the theatrics we've seen in defense of that. But that goes to the point, uh, original point, which is, well, you know, the left isn't even going to try to do it legislatively, right? Like they're going to try and do this through the courts and they're going to make equal protection claims. Yeah, it's not going to. Well, I mean, it's I, the the only the only way I can see uh, they would have to make some sort of. Uh, some sort of weird backwards full faith and credit argument that, uh, you know, I was in California getting all sorts of, you know, uh, gender therapies and stuff like that. Why can't I get it in Texas? Yeah. But of course, I think that even that is subject to the regulation of the practice of medicine that the state clearly has. The, the crazy thing, you know, when they first started making this argument, it was just like, you know, you had your head spinning because they were literally saying, well, you, you know, you let the non-transgender kids get sex changes if they want it. It's only the transgender. Kid. You know, it's just a crazy. No, th- no one's getting this. <laughs> That's the whole problem. The, the drugs uh, that are being used need to be used for the specific purpose that they're designed for, not for this pursuit of things outside the standard of care, which this would be. All right. So enough of those issues. Just want to highlight, because we talked about this issue before, some updates on that. And of course, we will keep an eye on that. So now let's get to the another one of the big issues for the week that's got a lot of updates, got a lot of things to talk about, is property tax relief. Does it feel like we are coming to some kind of agreement, you know, despite all the memes and the back and forth and all the social 
social media antics uh, between the House and the Senate um, over the debate over how you know how to, how exactly are we going to get the biggest property tax cut uh, ever in the state of Texas? Uh, it seems like we're starting the, the the dam is starting to break a little bit mm-hmm. on the impasse. And uh, sorry for the mixed metaphors there, <laughs> but start you know we're starting to get some uh, get some momentum going. Well, it was interesting. So today. The you know watching the Senate chamber, the Speaker uh, during one of the many points of order that the uh, the Democrats were raising on on something, probably alleging that a bill analysis said many people are saying, and then they said, okay, we'll name all the people. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you saw Speaker Phelan over in the Senate chamber where he actually took the dais uh, and got a photo op with handshaking mm-hmm. with uh, with the Lieutenant Governor. And so there's a lot, obviously, there's a lot, all the Kremlinologists are reading into that, whatever they can. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't know what that portends for the state of the negotiations. I would probably put it in the camp of better, you know, probably more good than bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, is we do see movement on the uh, House version of uh, SB3 as well. Or I'm sorry, the House's take on SB3 that kind of you said you said por qué no los dos um, right. kind of splits that uh, down the center in which it does have still an exemption component, but also uh, the valuation cap component, and then of course, obviously, still using um, still using the the compression as kind of the, the rounding it out. Right. The the House has always been for the appraisal caps. The the Senate's been for mostly for the uh, extending the homestead exemption. The big you know if you missed it this week, the House agreed to to do something on the homestead exemption and lift it to what a hundred thousand dollars, where they had been talking about forty or sixty thousand. I have I have not yet looked at the the new version, but I do know it was a lot. But keep in mind, but on the previous version when they had the uh, uh, caps, you know, that was on all the, the property and they use that, whereas the Senate had a like an inventory tax. So, like, obviously, the question here is what are we doing about businesses as well? Right, right. And so, because again, I, you know, obviously, as a you know, as a homestead, uh, a homestead owner, and, and mm-hmm. we, we basically, yeah, no, no, homestead tax really sounds great to us. Yeah, we'll <laughs> take that. Yeah. We'll take that. Um, but again, you know, a lot of what makes the state so attractive is the ability to you know, run a business here without getting absolutely driven into the dirt uh, by local taxes. Not that they're not getting, you know, pretty crazy, but the fact that we have protections against that have kept that from happening. But that doesn't mean that they're not feeling the pinch, too. So would any particular relief uh, agenda have to check all the boxes? I would say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, again, whether we're going through the exemption or the caps, I mean, they're two radically different methods of doing it but the fact that we've seen the photo op the fact that we've seen this compromised version at least we know that they're ma- making good faith uh, arguments of course though we could also take uh, a more cynical view our our cfo lou stone um got to give a shout out to him shout his, out. his his whole his whole idea was we basically parent trap the speaker and the lieutenant governor like we send messages to each of them saying meet up for you know whatever, yeah. I'm willing to concede to your tax and like get them in the same place. <laughs> and then we lock them there till they negotiate the tax plan. Meet at the Texas Chili Parlor yeah. and when and then lock them in the back room or something like that until they yeah until feed like, them habanero chili until they all come out with it. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, Lou's plan was literally uh, to to parent trap the speaker and the uh, lieutenant governor. And then when I saw them together, I go, oh my god, he actually did it. 
fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we should film it. Yeah, yeah. And make sure we and put it on a podcast or something. I think Disney still has the uh, intellectual property rights, and I hear they can be very litigious. So we'll uh, be careful. That. <laughs> we'll just ask Ron DeSantis about. We that. don't. We don't need the mouse coming after us, man. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. So we're coming to the sort of the end of the show on some of the big issues, but I do. You know, next week is it, right? I mean, we're getting yeah. we're getting really close to to signing die. We have less than a week to go. Um, any predictions? Any prognostications about what we might expect um, in terms of? I guarantee the legislative session will end on the 29th. Excellent. The regular All session. Right. Are we working next weekend? Is that the thing everybody <laughs> everybody has to be on on uh, in the building and on and on ready to go? Well, that's actually kind of interesting because when you get to that point, the most actionable stuff that's being done is uh, chasing down conferees for signatures. I like mm-hmm. even just for the the printing and distribution, you know, by that point, that already needs to be done. And I remember, you know, a, a not to go too much into detail, but I remember being with uh, uh, James White at the time when he was running. I can't remember what the bill was, but it was running all over the place looking for, you know, the last because you, you only you don't need you only need three on each chamber. Right. So you don't need you don't need all 10, but you definitely need a majority of each chamber. And like it gets to a point where sometimes people just like gets late in the day and they just head home. You know, sometimes you don't get that signature. So he wanted to make sure that they had that submitted. So that's what you're going to see a lot of towards the end of next week is just making sure you have those signatures so they can take those adoption votes. Well, maybe next week, because we, we'll be here. We'll have to work. We're working all next week. We're working probably through the weekend and through even the holiday, it would seem. Uh, Jefferson, our producer, of course, which I mean to give him a shout out every show. But, you know, it's not on my list of things to say, so I don't say it. Um, but I want to give a shout out to Jefferson, who's been with us here the, the whole session. So um, maybe the three of us will do another remote uh, another remote broadcast, maybe from the steps of the Capitol or something like that. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. All right. We'll check or the that bar. Out. Or or the bar next door, or the Texas Chili Parlor. You know, we'll just we'll just go Man, there. I, you know, as much uh, as much airtime as we're giving the Chili Parlor, maybe we should approach for a sponsorship <laughs> or something. <laughs> this closing was brought to you by the Texas Chili Parlor. <laughs> Not right. saying no. All right, well that's it for our show. We'll have a, a jam packed, you know, I guess the end of session show um, uh, next week. Um, so as always, we really do appreciate all of you who listen and all of you who watch the show. Uh, thank you again for all your feedback and all your constructive criticism. Uh, we'll see you next week, and as always. Do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time.